Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. Welcome back to the Life and Rhythm podcast, and my name is Matt Fogel, and I'm here with Linda Morris and Danae Pierre, my friends. Welcome. Great to be with you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes. So explain who you are. Linda, starting with you. Yeah, I'm going to pick on you. Who are you? Who am I? Wow. That's a real good question. Um, I am someone who is seeking to learn more about who God is so I can define me better. (laughs) Um, But my name is Linda Morris. I am um, a woman who moved here many decades ago from St. Louis, born on the East Coast in Philadelphia, raised in New Jersey, and presently um, serving at First Pentecostal Church as its outreach director, and calling myself a director is somewhat funny because <laughs> I call myself, I think of myself as an outreach connector, and that is helping people to connect with serving outside the walls of the church um, so that the world can see what the church is. I love that. I got the privilege of visiting you in your context just a couple weeks ago, and the multifaceted, just holistic approach to what you're doing. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think most outreach directors for churches uh, might just focus on meeting the spiritual needs around them, which is important, but y'all are going way above that. So can you talk to some of the things you're doing? Uh, yeah, I even that I won't take credit for because um, I got connected to an organization called Harvest Foundation and became um, first an employee and then later couldn't stand inside the walls without applying what I was learning um, and took that information to the church. So basically, it's the holistic approach is incarnating the Word of God and demonstrating it through service, which we call acts of love or seed projects um, that would serve those outside of the church, not just inside. So yeah, normally, and I think initially we started very spiritual. Um, That's the traditional thing. You know, everybody thinks of Matthew 28, 19, and 20 and wants to save souls, which is our primary Uh, goal to make sure people get to heaven. However, uh, I remember uh, going on an outreach before I had the training and handing a tract to a person and watching that person slowly tear that tract up and put a piece of it in his mouth. And that uh, sent such a big message to me that he could not eat what we were serving him. So. yeah, and the the main focus of holistic ministry is to fulfill 
the role of, of, of a servant. And Jesus is our model of that servant growing in the four ways that he did in Luke 2.52, growing in wisdom, growing physically, growing spiritually favor with God, and growing socially in favor with man. So that approach, I believe, is a model for development for every human being. And not just the human beings, but everything that God created needs to develop. Come on. So that way... Um, when when you're just being benevolent and giving people things, they don't grow. Um, they are fed for the meal, but they don't know how to get that meal for themselves. So being able to, to provide, provide them with ways to connect to health care, um, helping them to develop um, job skills, building resumes, having a place in the community that's safe to play and those kinds of things. That's, that's the approach that we want to take. And we want to be, as a church, we want to be a good neighbor, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. How long have you been at that, being a good neighbor in that place? In that particular model, <laughs> yeah. since about 2004, wow. um, I started learning how in 2001 and uh, then put it into practice starting in 2004. We started with just six people, um, and it still continues, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> so 18 years. That's, that's why when Aaron Daly introduced you to me, he called you the godmother of inner city ministry mm. <laughs> in Phoenix. That's <laughs> which you just shake your head and hung your head then just like you're doing now. Mm. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for being here in this conversation. Danae, talk yeah. to me about who are you? Who am I? Um, well, I make it my life endeavor to follow Linda as she follows Jesus. Come on. So <laughs> I hope her protege. <laughs> um, no, I so I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. My family uh, is a is a mix-up, mashup. Uh, what's the phrase? I don't know. Both are uh, from uh, my dad's family's from Rhode Island in the, in the New England area, and my mom immigrated from Honduras and uh, grew up with her and all her family in the West Valley. And um, from a young age, remember uh, just noticing a lot of the divisions culturally in Phoenix at the time there's I mean well there still is but I remember just there being such a um, intense kind of anti-immigrant sentiment in our city um, going to different churches with different parents and realizing that there's just a divide between Pentecostals and Baptists and Spanish speakers and English speakers and um, and yeah pretty young was drawn to this vision of Jesus as someone who brought unity and so that's been my my work this last uh I guess, 18 years or so working in the local church, uh, eight years leading Surge. I'm one, of the, I'm one of the many leaders serving the Surge Network along with both of you. Um, and I also work with church planters through City to City North America and Creek Collective. Um, and then my day-to-day uh, -day life is here at Roosevelt Community Church. Um, and my husband's a lead pastor. We've got five wonderful children yes, um, from pretty newborn up to, up to 20. So uh, yeah, so we have a, a lot of fun down here in downtown Phoenix. 
Oh, I got to see Danae at uh, the Spiritual Formation Society conference this last month, and she was toting around her little baby. And everywhere, I think everybody who connected eyes with her lit up. Giant smile. Giant smile. Rosa Joy. Lots of lots of smiles. Lots of joy. Yeah. I love that. She's really, really special. She's like, like the young lady. That's right. <laughs> well, um, we're going to continue our conversation around what is the church? What is the church for? And just to get us rolling, I was thinking about this passage in terms of what comes to God's mind. What is he conscious of when he thinks about the bride and what he would like the bride to be and do. And I was thinking about Revelation 7, where John says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every tribe and every nation and people group and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hand, and they were shouting with a great roar that salvation comes from God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And then I found this awesome quote by John Perkins uh, from his book in 2020, his book One Blood. And he quotes uh, G.K. Chesterton as saying, it isn't that they can't see the solution, it's that they can't see the problem. And I believe that this statement can be applied to the lack of reconciliation within the church today. We've been able to arrive at the solution. We, sorry, we have not been able to arrive at the solution because we have not seen or acknowledged the problem. And the problem is that there's a gaping hole in our gospel. We have preached a gospel that leaves us believing that we can be reconciled to God, but not reconciled to Christian brothers and sisters who do not look like us. Brothers and sisters with whom we are, in fact, one blood. And so to kick off our conversation... <laughs> <laughs> what is the church? What comes to your mind? Linda, you want to start us off with what's stirring in your mind and heart? Um, I always start with Genesis because um, there was no building and there was one body at that point. <laughs> um, and I believe that was God's intention from the beginning. So what is the church? In the New Testament, it's called many things. It's called the body of Christ, which if you think about it, the body has many parts, but there's still just one body. That's right. Um, it's um, called an embassy. It is that entity that displays the, the law, the rule, the judgment, and the heart of what it represents. So um, the church is that visible part of God's spirit on earth. Wow. Visible part. Say it again. The visible part of God's spirit on earth. Yeah. Yeah, when you say body, I think body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Him is the head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like uh, Hebrews 1 says, he is the perfect representation mm -hmm. of who God is. And as his body, we're meant to represent in an embassy-type way, ambassador-type way, mm -hmm. continuing to be that visible part of God's spirit. Absolutely. I like that. Thank you. That's good. I, love it. I like to think about 
kind of the family metaphor is something that I'm always struck by in scripture that we're the family of God. Um, and yeah, this, again, the, the paradox and mystery of one body and one family and all these different people groups, tribes, languages, cultures coming together, um, together representing the fullness of Christ. But just that God would view, um, not just put his spirit in us, but draw us to each other and make us one and reconcile us to one another. So in many ways, I think we can somewhat understand or fumble our way through understanding um, God reconciling us to himself. And even when I think about teaching my kids the gospel, it's like they can, they can kind of have a category for imagining Jesus as their best friend. When they have to use that imagination to think about loving the bully in their classroom or the teacher who's been really frustrating to them, it breaks down pretty quickly. And I think that's just so true of us too, where there's something about how God has designed the church that it's not just an individual relationship between me and Christ, but that the relationship works itself out in such a way that we are now one. And actually the oneness we experience as brothers and sisters in Christ is more intimate and will will only become more and more intimate for all eternity. So I've, it's remarkable to me that we will one day know a deeper union and intimacy than the best marriage on planet, on this earth, right? That these are all like a foretaste of the, uni- the union and the unity we'll have with each other. And that these things aren't separate or divorced from our relationship with God. It's not like, well, we, it's like me and Jesus. And then because of that, it's me and you. It's like, well, these are so interconnected and integrated. The way in which we will know the depths and widths of God's love is somehow bound up in the way in which we will know love with between each other, you know, and there's just this profound mystery that I think it's one thing to be naked and vulnerable before God, a whole other thing to do that before each other. And yet God has somehow revealed himself to us in such a way that part of our growing trust in him is being able to show up with each other. Yeah, I, you're making me tear up over here just because I'm thinking about the conversations with my own kids and how I long so deeply for them to get that part of the good news. Mm-hmm. And that, because those are conversations we have all the time of when I pick my kids up from school or we're heading to school and they're telling me about the relational conflict they're having in second grade <laughs> or sixth grade. And, uh, and I just think, as a parent, I long for them to understand the good news and their identity as the church, as the family of God, for the sake of the world who doesn't yet know. And so helping them to even see that person in their class that's super mean to them or hurts them, not as an enemy of flesh and blood, but sees beyond that to the veil of true reality, the spiritual reality that there is there is a darkness in them. And imagine what it would be like for them to come into the light. Can we pray that and for that person? What's their name? And Guiding them in that, I want that so badly for my kids. That's good. I want it too, not just for my kids, but I think about the fact that so many of us, even in our natural families, um, throw people away. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I say this when I gather with my genealogy family, I say it when I talk to my natural 
a bio family that's close in. I say it when I talk to my kids who are grown, <laughs> past grown. Um, but I say it because, and I say it too about the body of Christ and about the body of believers in a local assembly. There is no one that we can throw away. No one is in is no one lacks value. And everyone is needed. Mm-hmm. So even even if they're needed just to remind us that we need Jesus, they're <laughs> right. still needed. <laughs> right. You know? And it's even the family orients and organizes around the most the weakest and the most vulnerable. Yes. The infants, the elderly, the, the those going through cancer treatments. Um, that as a family we bend to care for those who are at the fringes. And I think if we, if, we, if we think about what it means to be God's people on this earth as a family of God, that actually the, the framework we're given for how to display his love is one in such that there are no throwaway people. That there is, not only are there no throwaway people, but we get to go find those who think they're throwaway to, to welcome them to the table and create a place of belonging. That's our privilege and joy actually like the really the main task we have at hand it's not it's not a bunch of tasks or any great ambition to start a whole bunch of new things it's as simple as inviting people to the table and then helping them feel a sense of christ belonging there yeah we i think it's been mentioned in every episode we've done about the identity of the church as a family we haven't asked this question. I'd like to ask you both to consider what do you do when it is just so dysfunctional that it's not that you want to throw away people, it's that you want to leave the table yourself. What would you say to those people that are already in a church, in a community, in a family, and they've reached the point where they're like, you know what, I, I feel weak. I feel vulnerable in this place. I don't necessarily even feel safe in this place. What would you say to them that feel the dysfunction of the family? had to say some things to people that have not been popular. Um, Often, um, people are really unsafe. And so if if it has to be a place that they're unsafe, they feel unsafe, then there's another place they can feel safe. We're talking about place. We're not talking about family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the family of God does not make you feel unsafe. I've been in places where I have not been safe, but I have not been alone. So there's safety. But then, why are why am I feeling unsafe? Who, who or what is making me feel unsafe? Is there something I can do about it? And if there's the one thing I know I can always do about it is tell Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I have been in situations where I've had to tell Jesus, and He's changed the situation. So I have to have faith and trust that he will. Mm-hmm. 
or that he would, you know, what is it? Scripture says that there's no temptation that's taken you that such as is common to man. And God will, with every temptation, give you a way of escape. Good. That you'll be able to stand it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He'll provide a way to, to escape it. So I trust that. Yeah. Good. I think one of the things I've prayed about a lot in my journey, so, you know, I don't know been in a church my whole life and have seen some of the saddest, most broken, um, ugly things happen in places. You're right, Linda. Uh, a institution or certain spaces, just because they're called Christian spaces or, or God's family doesn't mean that they are. And so learning how to be in some of those places, I know at times I've even described them as furnaces, you know, where it's just you're, you're, you're in the furnace and it may not feel safe. It actually may be really painful at times. And to discern where is God calling, what is my assignment in this? There are seasons um, that God has called me to stay for the purpose, uh, for, for a purpose, not just to ignore or to um, maybe be complicit with whatever is causing that space to be a furnace. But there's usually a purpose. And other times he releases uh, us to leave that that space to find a different space or place in which we might more fully realize uh, this vision of God's family. The thing that I always come back to, though, is I do know that when the, the temptation often when we're in furnaces is to isolate, and that's not God's call. God might be calling us to find deeper community, beloved community, a place of belonging, um, that's going to be pretty average and mundane and imperfect, right? It's not, we're not talking about like finding Disneyland. Um, but we might find a place where we can actually practice the regular rhythms of community in a much more healthy way where we get to show up in our, and we don't have to check our um, gender or ethnicity or social status at the door. We can be fully present, right? Um, but, but I think learning how to discern God's voice in that is really important because the culture's voice, the world's voice is isolate, do it on your own. You don't need these people. You don't need this place. And I think that is just a, a recipe for um, for the isolation and, and the very opposite of what we're talking about, which is belonging in God's family. And then I think we're in a, we're in a season of where many people have been able to share and communicate the pain of being in maybe a legalistic um, institution or, you know, or in an unhealthy community. And that's real. And to know that Christ weeps with, um, I mean, Jesus says it's worse, you know, have a millstone tied around your neck versus causing a little one to stumble. Like Jesus weeps over the victims of abuse of power and racism and mm -hmm. all the ways we harm each other. And yet, the way he's going to bring healing or the way he's brought healing into my life again and again has been through community, beloved community. Actually, the way I met Sister Linda was starting off working with a lot of male pastors in a culture that did not feel at home to me. And I was like, this is really, really hard. And I sought out mentors and, and people who'd gone before me. And I look back now eight years later and it's and this very place that used to be difficult is my beloved community. It's just so rich. And so it's not to say you have to stay, like Linda said, in every place you are. 
but we also don't ever get the choice of doing or we don't there is not christian life alone you know there is no solo christianity we discover christ together in the regular kind of the mundane practices of day-to-day life with each other I was thinking, too, as you were talking about the fact that we are called to be peacemakers. Mm. And how can we make peace Yeah, if we're isolating away from the, the, the situation? Right. Yeah. yeah, so let me pivot there in the, con- in the conversation towards the purpose of the church, because you're hitting at it with that statement. Peacemakers, called to be peacemakers, mm-hmm. to bring the wholeness, the restoration, the... The, uh, the goodness of God and his kingdom into our everyday life. And so um, you can answer it one of two ways. You can answer it in terms of what is the purpose of the church? What's the church for? Um, but I would also love to hear your thoughts around, like, what are those rhythms that help us to collectively live out our purpose? What are those things that we enter into, not just individually, but collectively, that, that empower us in the spirit to live out that purpose? I like to tell my kids, and yeah, I like to say we kind of have two jobs in this world. One is to look for for shadows of hell on earth, places that resemble hell, and bring the love of Jesus, be the love of Jesus in those spaces. The other is to look for shadows of heaven where people might not even know the origin of that heavenly reality and be present and point out to our friends and neighbors, hey, did you know the creator of this goodness is God? And I think those two, I think of it as like a right foot, left foot, as we walk walk um, by the Spirit and we follow in the footsteps of Christ, is is the role of the church, is the, the purpose of the church to, in places of darkness and the shadows of hell, to be peacemakers, engage in the work of reconciliation, love our enemies, um, be willing to lay down our life for our enemies and our brothers and sisters, and also the, be- the, the the positive side, looking at the creational good hidden in everything and be a show and tell people, hey, do you know where that comes from? Mm-hmm. I do. And pointing people back to Christ. That's good. Yeah, I keep thinking about um, the fact that the, the, for me it's, I, I see the image of God on everybody, mm-hmm. um, even if they are not acting and not uh, embodying the image of God in any aspect of their lives. That does not change the fact that they are intended to be image bearers and that they are. And so I'm listening. And I think, you know, I like to listen. To, to what's not said um, or what's not done. I like to see what's not being done. Uh, and then I ask God to show me the pain because there is pain and every one of us has some. I believe God calls us to minister to serve in that in that painful place and so there are there there's always a word from god's heart for the broken 
and not necessarily a spoken word. Sometimes it's simply an acknowledgement of the pain and of sitting with that in silence or an embrace. But it's being there. It's it's acknowledging that it's there. And I think about the scripture that says that a word, it's in Proverbs, a word fitly spoken mm. is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. The right word at the right time mm. or the right move at the right time can make all the difference in the world mm. for someone who's going through that dark place. And it doesn't matter what age they are, what ethnicity they are. Um, there are times when um, men who, who appear, who want to, to appear very strong, uh, have to acknowledge that they are not, and yet they cannot, according to society, and yet they need a place, a time when they can not be strong. And I'm looking for those places mm. when I'm with people. I'm looking for those places because I have those places too. You know, Linda, as you talk, I just think about, you know, I remember growing, when we think about the purpose of the church, um, growing up in the, in the church, hearing such um, big vision for changing the world, you know, almost in a little bit of this like triumphalistic, like we're going to, we're going to solve all the city's problems, all the world's problems. And then when you talk, it's like, yeah, actually, God's vision for the church is pretty grand. It's not that it's less than changing the world, but it's also how do we change the world. It actually is really as simple as loving our neighbors, sitting with the brokenhearted, listening to each other, forgiving each other, bearing each other's burdens, um, that the purpose of the church to display Christ in this world happens in the most ordinary ways. And I just think about, we get so sidetracked thinking about, you know, maybe trying to influence and impact heads of, heads of state. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> ironically, somehow God does that through the ordinary everyday acts of his people and sowing these seeds of love and being present with others. And it's really, it's really kind of crazy when you think about the way God's changing the world is through us loving each other. I often think about Jesus when he, uh, his ministry. Um, so often you'll, you'll see where it says that he had compassion mm. and he looked at someone. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's all it takes. All it takes. <laughs> it's so simple. So simple. That's good. Danae, would you mind if I just read a section of your reflection on gravity, that page you oh, sent sure. us? Because yeah. it, it speaks to what you're talking about in terms of the simplicity. Yeah. But I really liked how you put this. You said, how does the movement of God grow across all of human history? How do God's people, <clears throat> sorry, how do God's people participate in the renewal of our cities and the lost hearing the good news? This is not a new equation and it's not complex. It has a consistent pattern and is often invisible to those of us who participate. The movement of God's people in our cities is as simple as observing the patterns of Jesus with the same attention and wonder of a 15-month-old. Love God, love people, reconcile to one another, discern the Spirit's voice together, forgive each other, love each other, 
be of one mind and of one heart. Serve each other. Don't hide, but confess to each other. Be patient with each other. Outdo the other in showing honor. Submit to each other. See each other and value the diverse parts of the body represented in each other. Continue to carry each other's burdens. Celebrate each other's joys. Caring for the poor. Love God. Love neighbor. I love the simplicity of that. That's beautiful. And that's where I think simple and yet only by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's right. right? Absolutely. I have a friend, uh, Lauren, who when I was early on in kind of having staff and learning how to lead teams, would I would send him a problem and he would write back. Just just ask this, just listen to the person or or just say you're sorry. And I'm like, Lauren, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> I don't want to say sorry. I'm right. <laughs> and it's like, but it, I mean, whether that, whatever that is, right? Community, marriage, parenting, you know, leading people. It's so easy on paper. And yet it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to, only by the Spirit that we can overcome our, our pride and our egos and, and live our life in such a way that actually bears fruit of heaven. So once you get down the road and you get to receive the gifts of a living life according to the God's ways, it's like, why would I have ever? Why wouldn't I have sold the field to, to, or sold everything I have to buy the field that has the hidden treasure? But when you're at the moment of having your whole life possessions in your hand and you're looking at that field, like, is it worth it? You know, and just these, the, the kingdom of God, it, it's just real. It's just true. And the more you live into it, the more you practice it, the more real it, it becomes and it becomes foolish to even wonder why you do life any different. Yeah. And I like what you were saying earlier, Linda, too, of sometimes it's just as simple as considering in the spirit, in a prayerful way, mm-hmm. God, what, what would you have me say? And, and yeah. how would I say it? That's one of my favorite scriptures in the Gospel of John, John 12 at the end where Jesus says, I not only say what the Father is telling me to say, mm-hmm. but I say it how really he good. wants me to say it. Yeah. And so for you two, I'll close with this question. You're considering, I know both of you have rhythms of discerning the Spirit of God by yourselves in community. There are practices that you're doing to listen attentively to God. What are you up to and how can I join you? And so when you think about collectively the church in the valley, specifically in the Phoenix area, what are you discerning in this season that, the, that you would wish that the church would wake up, hear this? I, I think that God is wanting to do this together. What, what is on your heart and mind when you think about that? That's a tough one. I believe that God wants the church to repent. Together, all the factions of every stripe that think they are um, cemented in their own doctrine and their own righteousness, um, I believe God's calling us to repent and to one another. And I, I believe he's, he's wanting us to, to together not be afraid of one another. Um, so 
I don't, I can't think of a big thing that could be done that would, would make it happen because this is a God thing. This is a heart change that's going to come through the heart of every believer. And I'm, I'm praying that it pierces the heart of every leader or everyone who thinks they're a leader because we're in great trouble. The division is going to destroy the church and it's going to destroy this country. Yeah, I would only add to that. I just keep meditating on the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I get this picture of all the laborers hanging out in the house arguing with each other instead of out and harvesting the field. And just like the lament of the distractions um, that are all around us and the lack of wisdom to know how to put a stop to it. Another picture I've had when I think about like, what is God calling us to is I've had this prayer for a long time where I imagine these like, you know, like the fencer, like fencing the, like uh, they're in those white costumes with that mask on Mm -hmm. and you're watching people, you know, some people fencing, like it's a game others, you know, like it's a war and you realize actually this is like the sword of the spirit. It was not meant to be used for each other. It was meant to fight against the powers of darkness and the principalities for the sake of bringing about God's kingdom on this earth. And just like us digging up and like burying our, 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 the face masks, the fencing swords, the fencing masks in the ground. And this like picture of looking at each other eye to eye and saying like we we are one family called to to use these swords to wield these swords against the powers of darkness not each other and just what does it mean in this season of polar I'm I'm thankful for the polarization happening in in society I'm just heartbroken that the church isn't prepared to follow Jesus and lead in the midst of it. Um, there is a sense of the, you know, the, the contrasts um, being really sharp right now. What would it look like for God's people to not be worried about the opinion of uh, the broader culture or, or to fear, um, you know, to fear all kinds, or to fear, period. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> and to instead walk more intimately in union with each other, like like Sister Linda said, across all different divisions, all different traditions, um, in the name of Jesus, for the sake of putting his glory on in this world. And so when we think about our own, again, I think we, when Linda and I talk, it sounds so grand. And like like Sister Linda said, how how does that happen? Only the Holy Spirit. So I think our part in it is to discern through prayer and I think community, I think this is a time to say, do I have at least at least two to three other Christian families or people that I am actually doing life intentionally with right now, where I am at the very least practicing repentance at a micro scale, where I'm trying to become aware of the ways in which my pattern of thinking is in accordance to the patterns of this world, and I want my pattern of thinking to be reorganized according to the patterns of Christ. And if we, if we're not doing that in a very, at least a very small, small community, then what we talk about happening broadly is is um, loses its teeth. And so I think the, what my encouragement would be, you know, if you have a few people to have a real conversation on what it looks like to live in, a, in confessing Christian community together, 
And how do you develop those practices? It's a really important season for us to be um, doing that and walking in obedience in those ways. So good. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you, Linda. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I would love it if you would close us in prayer, Linda, and just say a prayer around the things that we've talked about and for the people listening. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we stand here, sit here together, um, united in, with one heart, God, seeking you and desiring, God, that you would move in the lives of your people, that you would animate your church, God, to hear you, to fear you, to love you, to obey you, to have faith in you, and to be reconciled to one another. God, we thank you for all that you have done thus far in our lives, that you've called us to, for this purpose. I pray, God, that you would speak to the heart of all the leaders of all the denominations of all the faith traditions, God, that you would speak to all of, of the leaders, that we would come together in unity, in humility, and in love, that the world will know that you have sent us by the love we have one for another, and that we love you and our neighbors as ourselves. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.